Hello, I'm Roy Sharples and welcome to the Unknown Origins podcast. Why are you listening to this podcast? Are you an industry expert looking for insights, growing your career, or are you a dear friend helping spur your old pal on? I created the Unknown Origins podcast to have the most inspiring conversations with creative industry personalities and experts about entrepreneurship, pop culture, art, music, film and fashion. Today's focus is art direction and curation, which I have the pleasure of chatting with Matt Bancroft, who is an independent curator, archivist and art director specialising in 20th century pop culture. From Johnny Marr's art director to being part of the curation team that organised and realised True Faith, which was an exhibition of the artistic legacy and influence of Joy Division and New Order, exhibited at the Manchester Art Gallery and Manchester International Festival in 2017. Spearheading various pop culture archives, including the archives of Factory Records, Tony Wilson and Rob Gretton, and his current work on Derek Jarman's archive for Art Fund UK. Hello and welcome, Matt. Hi, Roy. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. So what inspired and attracted you into the profession of being an art director and curator? Um, I guess I, I'd, um, I was always interested in art generally and um, music particularly when I was younger. And um, as I, kind of growing up, went, you know, kind of chose the path of learning and going through the kind of educational programme within the arts. So went to do an art foundation and then went to university to um, study design and art direction, which was a kind of broad graphic design and advertising course really yeah. um, and through that um, kind of works worked through that for three years that was a degree course um, but but kind of found that I think as I was doing it I, I wasn't quite sure what exactly I wanted to do I was really I was acting like a fine artist in a world where you need or in a world where you have briefs and um, quite you know a specific way of working you know with clients obviously most of the time and so I was kind of at odds with that world. So I ended up really just being a fine artist um, and then fell out of that world for a while, went and went away and did just other work for quite, quite, quite a long time, but was always doing my own creative work in the background and, you know, kind of on the side and decided then about, well, yeah, really kind of in my late twenties, early thirties to kind of stop to kind of refocus and get back to that world. I, I realized that I was missing it and I wasn't, I guess in my head, I wasn't kind of fulfilling the potential that I thought I had yeah. to kind of contribute or to be involved in that, in creative work generally. So um, around that time, I'd, that's when I met Johnny Marr and um, kind of formed a friendship with him and then a kind of creative partnership with him really. Um, he, it, it was at the same time when he was kind of setting up his, um, setting himself up as a solo performer yeah. really um, after, after being in Modest Mouse and then the Cribs. And, and that was kind of the sign really for me to, t- to start to take it more seriously. Um, I'd always been a big fan of music, you know, still am, still listen to a lot of music and, and was interested in pop culture generally as well. And trying to work out why things connected together and how they connected together um, and I guess once I realized that I was doing that kind of naturally, um, then I thought, well, I now need to find a way of, um, doing that for myself, kind of putting, putting myself into that kind of ball game as well and be trying to try to be part of it. And I guess more than anything, curation seemed to me as a kind of natural way of doing that. Cause it was a way of bringing all the skills that I had developed together um, to be able to be involved in the creative arts without having to be the actual creative artist, yeah. if you know what I mean. So I guess that was the, that was the sort of journey to it. Um, but just always just being a fan, Roy, really, just a yeah. fan of music, art, film, um, and, and as I say, just seeing how those links came together, really. How did your relationship with Johnny establish? Was it by accident or was it something that you kind of targeted and um, instigated? It was completely by accident. In a way, I was working, I was working in retail at the time and um, I was a retail manager and he he used to shop where I worked. And, um, and we just sort of, you know, he's a very 
kind of um, personable yeah. guy anyway. And so we would always chat. He would always be interested in, you know, the products. But also I think, you know, we used to always play really great music in the shop and there were a bunch of really nice people. So yeah. he, we just kind of got to know each other through that really. It was a very kind of natural and quite long sort of process in a way. Just, you know, when he'd come in, we'd chat about things. He'd talk about music he liked. I'd talk about music I liked. And we yeah. would, you know, realised obviously we had a lot in common. Obviously, I, I was aware who he was, but yeah. my, um, you know, sort of professionalism always kind of kicked in and I, you know, I, I was just making sure that he, at the end of the day, he was a customer yeah. and, you know, so he needed to be treated like that. He wasn't to be sort of, yeah. you know, bothered and, you know, just talk about his world all the time. And then his, um, we, we had a position and his daughter came to work for us. And um, so I guess that sort of got us, us closer as well. And, um, yeah, we just, we were friends really. And we became friends and we, um, used to sort of, you know, just chat about things that we both liked. And then when he was, um, kind of starting to establish the idea in his head of, 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 of going out as Johnny Marr rather than as, um, Johnny Marr and the healers or yeah. as, you know, having been in the cribs and been in modest mouth as mouse, as I say, prior to that, um, he just said, well, you know, why don't you, why don't we think about how I can kind of work together on, 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 you know, album covers and things like that. And, it, and, and initially it was just as a sort of collaborative project. It wasn't, yeah. I didn't think that I'd necessarily be the person to do that work. Yeah. I was just kind of helping him formulate his ideas. And because I had a, a knowledge and experience, not necessarily in the practicalities of doing the work, but just in the pop culture generally, um, and he obviously does as well. We kind of, we, we were put, you know, pulling ideas together and thinking about how, how he could present himself as a solo artist um, and not just be a guitar player, but yeah. be a um, singer and a songwriter and a performer and a band leader and all those things that he now yeah. is. Well, I mean, he always was, but, you know, publicly he now the, would yeah. be. Um, he just said, well, why don't, well, you know, why don't you do it? And that, that really was you know, kind of the start of that sort of, second wave of a career for me almost in a, in a way, you know, from the things I was doing at university the first time when I did do bits of graphic design and things like that, but yeah. you know, I fell out of it. That was the, the catalyst. And so, um, yeah, that you're right. That is when I was kind of taking it seriously because I guess I, I kind of had to all yeah. of a sudden. And it was a, it was a great learning experience. I mean, I, at that point I'd not, I'd never done a record cover before. Um, and I'd never really made a video before and I'd not done merch before. I understood the mechanics of how those things happened, but um, yeah, I was just thrown into it. And it was just a case that he just went, well, you know, you do it. And his manager at the time, a guy called Joe Moss, who was, yeah. you know, a really great guy. Um, he, he he was really supportive and liked the idea and everyone just let me get on with it, really. What, what an opportunity, but absolute kudos to Johnny as well. I mean, I think one of the things that maybe goes unnoticed, how great of a talent spotter he is. No, he really does. And, and he's very, tr you know, he's, he's incredibly trusting because, um, you know, it's not like I, I had this massive back catalogue of work to go from yeah. at the time. Um, I think, yeah, he's very intuitive um, and he really does pick good people yeah. to be around him. And I think that that kind of community then makes, I, I guess it kind of makes life easier. It means he can concentrate on what, yeah. what he wants to do, knowing that the people kind of um bringing together all the elements yeah are doing you know are doing a good job and he's also very involved in that world it's definitely a collaboration for me with his you know at the end of the day it's his product um he is in, in one sense he is the client as well as being you know a friend and a collaborator you yeah. know it's got to be right for him and i guess one of the things that i'm good at is helping him um, realize the visions that he may have for the product and the concepts, which obviously yeah. often come from the songs that he's writing at that time and what he's influenced by. I guess it's my job is to create the kind of visual responses to his music to allow the overall kind of umbrella concept for each album, video, single, whatever it might be, to be communicated properly to to the audience, I guess. How do you um, make the invisible visible without sounding pretentious by curating and detailing um, the, the work that you're kind of doing, whether that's 
um, developing the concept through assembling, cataloging, managing, and presenting the, the artist or cultural importance of your subjects. And, and also, what kind of tools and techniques, methods, and even technologies um, that you use to help improve your creative process? So I guess in to break down the three areas that I work in, um, in, in an, uh, and there, there, is a, there is a link between all of them in one sense, which is, I guess, that um, I, as, as someone who is very interested in pop culture um, and very interested in um, the kind of wide, pop, the offshoots that come from that, um, to, to, to almost to being obsessive about it and a kind of, you know, someone who reads a lot about it, looks at it a lot, finds those connections. That gives me, I guess, a, a kind of um, base of knowledge in which to draw inspiration from. So I guess that's what I'm doing most of the time. Yeah. It, it, in a simple sense, that, that would be called, you know, referencing. You, you, you know, you... you someone says to you, there's this, I, we have this project or we have this idea and immediately I will kind of go backwards and think, Oh, well that, that's, that, that links to that particular thing that happened or that period or that movement or that person from 1965. So when you get an idea, so your, your natural default of of thought is that you kind of look in the rear mirror and kind of go backward to reference those touch points in pop culture or. Yeah. I mean, that's always a starting point for me. I just think it's, just incredibly natural for me to do that and, I don't, and again I don't mean that in a pretentious way it's just yeah. that's just what my brain does I don't I, I don't think I'm not particularly at that stage anyway I'm not particularly forward looking I don't think I, I very rarely think to myself okay so this this particular project how are we going to revolutionize curation or how, yeah. how, how are we going to create an album cover that no one else has ever ever created because I think that, that's not mine. That's not what I'm good at, and that's not what my natural kind of um, bent is in, in in the things that I'm interested in. So um, that doesn't mean I don't want it to be relevant today. And again, yeah. let's say if I'm working on you know working on a project with Johnny, of course we want we want it to be relevant to a modern audience. It's not about an an old audience who are you know yeah. seeing him as a as a kind of iconic figure from the past yeah. and it's a case of going, well, who's the, you know, who's the new audience who we're going to bring exactly. to this? How, yeah. how, how do we um, represent his current music, um, his contemporary music in the right way? So you, yeah. you still want it to have, you want it to appeal across the audience spectrum, but you also very specifically want it to make sure it's hitting kind of current trends and the current market properly. Yeah. Um, so you want a contemporary edge to it, but, it's not necessarily about a kind of contemporary technological edge in the sense of it being a record cover that is made of a material that's never been used before for yeah. record covers. You know, like that's, that's not the way my sort of brain works. It's about the, um, the overall concept. Yeah. And I think actually for, for me, I, I, because, because that's the way pop culture works in my view, you see strands of, um, you see strands of history, strands of artistic history in in the widest sense, creative history through yes. every bit, every bit of of pop culture that you know, every every music release or or the majority anyway. Um, yeah. Every film you see, if you if you look hard enough, you see all the links backwards, yeah. and then in turn you can see some possible projections forward. And I guess that's the way my brain my brain works. So on a, in, on an album cover, that's what I'll be doing. I'll be thinking, okay, so so. Johnny's in this in this case working with Johnny. He might be talking about things that are influencing him, or he might be talking about the kind of idea that he wants for a cover. And I will go, okay, right. Well, I will then work backwards and go, right. Well, here's you know, what about this photograph of yeah. this particular person? So, is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Is you know what about uh, this? The, you know, well, let's watch this film and see when that person does that. That could be really interesting. We could use that as a starting point. It, it never ends up looking like that, but yeah. that's, that, that's our starting point. It takes us in the right direction. It kind of keeps us in the right sort of, yeah. puts us in the right area for how we're going to work. Um, and same with kind of curatorial projects. I will be thinking to myself, I guess with curatorial projects, unless someone's coming to me for me to work within kind of my area of expertise on that project, I will be thinking, what, what do I want to go and see? You know, yeah. what is a, 
what would be a good curatorial, what, what, what would be a good exhibition idea? That's the way most exhibitions work. They, you know, they, it's somebody in a, whether they're independent or they work in a, a gallery or museum, coming up with ideas for, you know, good exhibitions, whether that's based on their collection, based yeah. on their interest, hitting a particular um, anniversary or whatever it might be. You know, something is saying to you, oh, this could be an idea for an exhibition. And so I guess that's what I, I do. I, I sort of, within the, within the world of pop culture, think all right well that these things have linked together quite nicely and oh, all of a sudden i've seen that artwork all right yeah. now i've got three or four things that have linked together can i expand on that and can i start to think is there a, is there an exhibition in this is there a bigger exhibition idea and obviously yeah. sometimes that quite quickly sometimes that can take two or three years almost to get the idea together before you can kind of present it and actually have you know in essence get it get it into a nutshell what you're trying to talk about what is what is the actual idea within the exhibition you know so that's that's how that works and i guess within archives i'm um that's a bit more sim that's simpler in the structure which is that somebody already has an archive they already have a collection of stuff whether it's theirs or things that they've kind of brought together, whether it's connected to a family, whether it's, you know, a partner who's passed away or yeah. uh, whether it's the person themselves, they are sitting on a bunch of their things that they need to formalize and put together. And in that sense, it's a slightly different project because it's about documenting. It's very, that's kind of, um, kind of laboring, a more labor intensive project, which is to, you know, assess, learn, look through, document, and then if you are going to develop exhibition from that, find connections within that archive to tell a story about a particular person. So that's, um, that's a, a simpler process. Um, it doesn't always lead, doesn't always have a creative output at the end of it. That might be the end of the project, which is that it was an archive that needed documenting. But I guess my, my areas of knowledge prior to documenting the archive mean that I'm un- I, I, I at least understand what I'm looking at. Yeah. But you do a lot of learning and research on it as well, for, you know, of course. Of course, yeah, for sure. So, so was that the method you pretty much applied to um, the True Faith exhibit you did and also the the, the, the um, archiving work that you kind of brought to life um, with the stuff you'd done around Rob Gretton and Tony Wilson? And I guess as well, the, the, the more current project that you're doing with Derek Jarman. Yeah, I mean, so, so you know, the, the most recent one first, the, the Derek Jarman project is simply for me, a, um, a, a job of documenting a, a kind of in a project of inventory. Yeah. Um, there is no creative output for me with the Derek Jarman project. It was, um, that's purely because of the, um, process that's happening around the, um, stabilization of prospect cottage, which is where he used to live for a big, for a portion of his life down in the Dungeness. Yeah. You might've seen there was a, a project recently where, which, um, was, kind of spearheaded by the art fund in the UK, which was to raise the money to save Prospect Cottage, basically. Um, and so that's now happened. That's been successful. And the handover process from the um, the previous, not even really owners, but the, the, the people who currently have responsibility for it, before it hands over to the people who will have responsibility for it, who are a creative, uh, cultural institution, um, there needs to be a document that basically informs everybody of what will be handed over. So that's what I'm doing. But obviously in doing that, because of the, I guess, the kind of person I am, I am learning a lot about Derry Jarman. I am learning a lot about various, um, you know, that period in his life where he's been, you know, um, people who he's connected to, seeing the links in his work to other people's work. And, and naturally, even though that might not give me a direct exhibition concept, it obviously starts to form ideas and links into other other things that I'm working on. So it's always, even if there's not a, a creative end game for me, it's always still, you know, yeah. fascinating and a privilege to be able to go through, you know, someone as important as Derek Jarman's um, property in essence yeah. you know and, yeah. uh, uh, and and kind of private materials and just just see what's out there um with regards the factory exhibition at chelsea space 
that came around because of an anniversary. It was the 40 years of the kind of launch of Factory Records and myself and John Savage, the writer and um, curator, he, we'd been approached about to, um, to kind of mark that in some way. And um, that then led me to think about, well, what is the exhibition? How are we going to document that period? You know, what, how far are we going to, going to go within the factory catalogue? You know, when do we start and stop? What do we want to talk about? Obviously, there's lots of stakeholders in the world of factory. Um, the bands who've been involved, the families of the people who are no longer with us, who, yeah. who were pivotal. Um, Peter Saville, other designers, you know, so there's lots of people you have to kind of talk to and in essence, make sure they're happy with the, this concept and the, and the overall idea and the way it's going to be presented and the kind of level and stature that it's at, because of, because obviously it reflects on them, yeah. on their work, but also it reflects on the people as I say, who, who had been involved, who d- don't have a, you know, have a say anymore. Um, and so that was, that was a, a, a kind of anniversary angle. Um, and then me and John started to think about, well, how can we formulate that? What do we want to say? What do we want to talk about? What do we want to show? Is to say, how far do we want to go? Um, True Faith was already, it was an already developed idea. It was the concept of a, of a curator in, who's based in New York called Matthew Higgs. He runs a gallery, a gallery called White Columns. Um, and um, he's from the UK. He's from Chorley, I think. And knew, you know, knew Joy Division, was a big fan, um, was, you know, was kind of really into that, was part of that world in the, as, a, as a fan, as a, as, a, as a teen fan yeah. in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, was an artist in the UK. Um, and then um, at some point moved to the, to, the, to the US to be head of White Columns. But he's a, he's a very, very highly respected curator um you know really interesting person and he'd he developed that idea and had proposed it to um to Manchester Art Gallery and as part of the festival so when I, I, I at that time I was doing some work with Manchester Art Gallery and so I I moved on to it as the kind of um or from a kind of an organizational perspective with um with a lady called Fiona Corridan who was the kind of main curator for Manchester Art Gallery. I, I, I kind of assisted her on that project. But John Savage was also working on it because it had a fine art and a pop cultural angle. Um, and another guy called Johan Kugelberg, who's, uh, who runs a, a, a company called Boo Hooray, who are New York based. He's a, again, a kind of archivist curator um, based over in New York. You know, very, very quite, you know, quite an important guy involved in a lot of major um, archives or major archival work and collections, stabilizing collections over there um, that are predominantly pop culture based. It, it, so it, it was already an established idea. So my work on that was about helping the kind of organizational side of, you know, bringing all those, bringing all those things together, the kind of practicalities of, uh, of curation that much yeah. of the work is really, which is just the sort of organizational process of, getting everything to the gallery, you know, thinking about the concept, thinking about the layout. Um, so it was, a real, it was a real kind of big team effort, but it was a fantastic exhibition. Oh, it, it, it was. I mean, I'm, I remember you, on your recommendation, I went to see it back in um, August 2017 at the yeah. Manchester Art Gallery. And it's, it, it's when you get there, it's like you fall into the world. I mean, the, the aesthetics and the identity around the kind of band is, is just so accurate. Um, and you feel the mood um, so the kind of layout, the colouring, um, the message, the narrative, all of that was just spot on. It was, yeah, it was fantastic. It was a brilliant, brilliant exhibition. And, it, and I guess for me, what I, one of the reasons that I was really happy to work on it was because I, I, I didn't know a lot of the, the people connected to Factory before doing that exhibition. Yeah. Um, I was aware of Factory generally, um, but I kind of knew that it, or well, I hoped that it was going to connect me to them so I could then go and do more work <laughs> in that world. Exactly what it did. I mean, I was sort of, you know, it just a natural sort of business step of, you know, kind of one person to the next really. Um, and that's exactly what it did. It opened up that world to me um, through doing good work on it. I've got to know them. And I guess there's an element of trust now with yeah. some of the work that I do with some of the people connected to 
that, that, you know, that early period of factory anyway, I, I don't know a lot of people in the sort of, in kind of later years, but it, it does, it has meant that it has kind of opened up, opened doors for me in that area. Yeah. So um, it, it was very important exhibition. In the same way, working with Johnny was important for me yeah. in, in one strand of my work, that, that True Faith exhibition was vital in the kind of, you know, with the sort of curatorial projects that I am doing, have done, and I'm looking to do in the future. So you see that, like you mentioned, there is obviously like there's the, the strong relationship and the the organ the organic um, component. But at the end of the day, it's the quality of the work um, and the way that you kind of collaborate with those people that you have that's kind of spawned um, the relationships further and also the, the the repeat work and the evolution of that. So that's total credit to the to the actual work itself that you've that you've driven and led. Yeah, thanks, Roy. I mean, you've got. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it, to talk about yourself in that yeah, kind of, of course. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, I do have to look at it and go, well, I, I must have, I must be doing something right, I guess, <laughs> in those projects that you know that, that the people are happy or want to continue to work with me or are happy for me to continue to work with them on those kind of projects. Yeah, and, and I guess from my perspective, um, one, I have such respect for the people themselves and the work that they produced. You know, I, Johnny's my friend, but I have so much respect for him as an artist and the work he's done kind of past, past, present and future, you know, in all, in all the various projects that he's worked on and bands he's been part of, um, that I wouldn't ever want to do poor work yeah. on his behalf, you know? So there, it, the, these people set a standard for me to hit, I think. And, and in the same way with the, with the, exhibitions you know when you're working with people you respect or you're working with people's work that you respect um you don't want to yeah. present that poorly or let anybody down and you know it's so so it's kind of personal for me in that sense yeah. you know I, don't, I i take it seriously and i think i know we've spoken before about pop culture generally um but i take pop culture seriously yeah i get and i know that the people i'm working with do and because because of that, we 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 all understand its importance. You know, it's not it's not a lesser art than fine yeah. art. It's not a lesser creative um, area than you know opera or ballet or the things that are considered yes. sort of high yeah. art. Exactly, that is more important in my opinion. It hits yeah. it hits far more people than those those things ever do, and it educates them in a way that those those areas that are no less important as well but it doesn't, it doesn't hit in the same way that pop culture does. When I look at the portfolio of talent that you've collaborated with, it's almost like you've cherry-picked them, and it probably could go, says a lot about your discipline and integrity around working with the people that you really want to kind of work with, and you're probably having to sacrifice and push back on things that might be commercially viable, but you've probably said, well, no, it's not really. I want to work on these kind of things because it's the art of kind of what I'm doing and the, that whole love um, around that is, is much more important than working with people that maybe I don't have the same affection or or respect for. And so it sounds like there's a real integrity that goes through your kind of taste and your prioritization in terms of who you work with. Yeah, I think that's true. I think I think a lot of that was, I mean, I think that, that is there anyway, but I think a lot of that was because I, I, I came to kind of find my feet quite late really I suppose in one sense I mean I'm, you know, I'm 41 I'm, it's not like I'm past it but I think you, you're a very different person when you're 40 than when you're 20 yes just trying to start out in a creative industry where you a you need the money much more you um uh are learning of course as as I am of course still but um you maybe sort of just snatch at everything because it's work and you think that's the right thing to do and that's yes. completely understandable completely understandable that people do that um and i think because i because i came at it a bit later i'd almost had like 10 years to think about mm. what i wanted to do and who i wanted to be and because of that you take some risks you, some financial risks i suppose by not just doing all any bit any any work you want um but yeah, it allowed me to, it kind of set me up with a knowledge base and a sort of, yeah, decision-making process to think, actually, I don't, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to work slower, but I'm only going to work with people that I really respect and like and whose work I like and also try and build up a portfolio yeah. to, for myself of work that it, 
exactly as, as you've just well as you've picked up on says to someone this is the kind of work that Matt Bancroft does mm. and that's perfect for me that's exactly what, how I would want it to be that's I mean great. I'd rather do three projects a year that are great than ten that uh, uh, and, and go oh, actually that one didn't really work out very yes. well I'm a bit embarrassed by that but I just did it for the money or I just yeah. did it because I got kind of you know strong-armed into it I would much rather yeah pick pick my projects and be um, be a bit more patient with everything and just see how things develop yeah. some of those some of those are projects that I am instigating and I try to instigate um, sometimes they don't come off of course you know for various reasons timing yeah. budget you know all, all of the very practical things and that unfortunately in the you know in a post-covid world is you know kind of very pre- um, very prevalent at the moment I'm, I'm, I'm in I'm having those conversations with people at the moment about projects that should have started this year that were going to start early part of next year that are now still happening but there's no real definity on date they they might get pulled and that's that's the way it goes you know it's completely understandable so um I, I i hope i can continue to think that way because i don't yeah i don't want to i don't want to do lots of work that i don't really love and and, and what's great is i like working with the people that i work with as well yeah. you know, i work with johnny a lot and have done a lot of work with him since 2010 um and do, and I'm involved in everything that he does really that's in the kind of non-music sense and the non-business yeah. sense of his world you know videos merch yeah. album covers and even if I'm not the person you know I'm not that that obviously means that we involve other people as well or he involves other people yeah. I might not be the video director I might not be the photographer I might be the art director for everything but sometimes I might be the photographer sometimes I might be the video director yeah. sometimes I might be the the person who comes up with the idea sometimes I'm just facilitating but yeah. um, I like all the people that we work with and that's far more interesting than me going away and doing another yes. album with a band that I've never heard of and yeah. you know I, I like the collaboration of working with Johnny and and the same with the curatorial projects I, I'm doing I work with John Savage a lot I like working with John Savage he's yeah. a very very intelligent and interesting person with a lot of experience and um so you learn a lot from john um and same you know within that within those worlds that he's worked in um you know it, it does open up conversations with really interesting people who i might not have met without knowing that, yes. that these people and other people so um yes yeah, very interesting and if i can keep working with those people and develop a kind of niche almost and obviously niche has been by nature that you're quite limited in the scope, but it, but there's, if there's enough, I think there's, I, I foresee there is enough good work yes. within that niche that should allow me to continue to do this, hopefully for you know years to come. What are the key skills that are essential for being um, an art director and cu- curator? Um, I, I, well, I guess they're quite different in those two different areas. Yes. Um, I, I guess in, Curation, there is a lot of, um, it, it's a, a kind of project management role, I think, more than anything else. So there's, a, there's, there's just that actual, you know, the kind of organizational process yeah. um, that you need to put in place. You're de- you know, you're potentially dealing with lots of different lenders, lots of different. So I guess in curation, I guess there's two sides to it. There's the exhibition itself, how it looks, what the idea is. That's the kind of creative element to it. And then there's the organizational element, which is 80% of the work probably, or the, or the majority of the work that yeah. leads to the mm-hmm. kind of the thing that everybody sees. So there's the work behind the scenes. Um, yes, yeah, that's an organizational role. I think more than anything from the people that I've worked and there's people that, you know, a lot more experienced than me still at it, of course, but the people that I've was, have been lucky enough to work with who I learned a lot from at the, at the galleries that, you know, that I've worked and the people that I've worked with who works with work with different galleries. Um, there's a lot, yeah, there's lots and lots of, um, organizing, planning, um, people management, project management. And I guess one of the reasons that I wanted to get into the world of curation and I went back and I, I retrained in my late thirties, I went and did a master's in, um, in contemporary curating, having done all this work in other areas was, I was trying to think how can I combine all the skills that I've learned into yes. a creative area that I think I could do some good work in. 
And so I'd done lots of work with people. I'd done lots of work managing people, managing budgets, yeah. you know, keeping people on, on track, all the really, you know, classic stuff you have to do in that world, you know, yeah. disciplining people and, you know, inspiring people, you know, yeah. all the things that go into being a people manager. Yeah. Um, and then bringing that side of it to the pop culture and creative knowledge that I had, an interest that I had, and, and kind of trying to combine those those two areas. So that's that's what I I ex, I have experienced um, curatorial projects to be. Yeah. Um, planning, organising, dealing with different lenders, dealing with different institutions, um, planning the transportation of all the works, time, you know, bringing all those things together. So they all hit at exactly the right time. So then you have the enough time to then do the really exciting and interesting bit, which is to plan how the exhibition is going to look. Um, and I guess the other part of that is, and obviously then you have the, you know, the install period where you're generally working with other people with the expertise yes. who know how to do that kind of thing. Um, and then, the other part of that is the, is the idea part, you know, it's going right back to the start. Well, what, what is, if, if, if the idea isn't being brought to you or you're not being asked to help realize an idea that somebody else already has, what is, what do you want to see, see exhibitions about? You know, what's the, what's the concept going to be? So um, that's the creative side, the research side, the sort of natural side that, that I have in my head, which is, as I'm, as I'm studying and learning and reading and thinking about pop culture, how, how do they, how do all those different strands come together to start to, you know, form the, the genesis of an yes. exhibition. And then you do all the work on top of that, which is, well, now I've got an idea. How can I find the work that expresses that idea to an audience? You know, um, I've been somewhat a, a curator who I worked with, you know, said to me once that, the job of a curator is to ask questions and not, and not answer them. And actually that, that was a real kind of game changer for me in my way of thinking, because I was, I was kind of thinking, all right, I'm going to put, going to put an exhibition together and that is going to be about how, how I tell somebody something. And actually that was completely wrong. It was about how I offer up yes. suggestions to an audience and let them think about what the, connections might be and then let them walk away with their own um strand of of kind of thinking about it um and so that was that that was really interesting so i guess that's what all of those things together you're trying to do in a sort of with with, with a curatorial project or with an exhibition yeah. um sometimes it's obviously it is quite specific someone has asked you to put on to promote something or do something very specific in a, in a specific space for an amount of time that says something about a person or a company or a brand or an idea. And that is much simple. That's obviously quite simple. Then you just facilitate that really. Yeah. But, um, it's all, 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 so all of those skills need to come together within the art direction world. Um, I only have worked in quite a limited way in that. So in a broad sense, I, I would, I would be the, uh, the wrong person to talk about how, what all the skills are, but I guess for me, it, with my experience, um, again, you're dealing with, well, you know, I'm dealing with a record company. So you're dealing with a massive kind of corporate machine that has got to, that has a, ve that has a very different aim to the aim that I have with the, how I want the record sleeve. Let's, let's use the record sleeve as an example. Yeah. How I want the record sleeve to look. They have a, you know, so you're having to balance um, your creative um, impetus with the commercial imperative of making yeah. sure that record can be sold well. And it also represents the artist and the artist's um, vision as well. In my case, that's, that's with the work that I've done. Yeah. I'm sure if you spoke to, you know, to use the kind of classic example in the world that I've worked on, if you spoke to Peter Saville about that, that is his creative um, impetus is very different because he's, he was often in a position where he didn't have to answer to a band or an artist or a record company. Yeah. His factory gave him the autonomy to do the work he wanted to do. Um, and so he had a different 
angle um, and a different drive. And so he could be, his work could be kind of more purer in a sense. Yeah. Um, you know, he's very lucky to be working with bands and artists who, obviously, again, that's because they trusted him and they knew he did good work. Of yeah, course. But, yeah. um, but so I guess, this, you know, there's the skills of compromise. Um, you have to, you know, you have to learn you're not always going to get your own way. Um, you have to understand the commercial imperative, of course. Um, there's still an element of project management. I, I tend to get involved a lot or, or people kind of by default because of the way that I work, I, I end up being the person who hand, ha, not doesn't handle, I don't handle the production, but I get, I have to approve a lot of the production methods and questions. So, you know, all those things that, and I'm no expert in production. So, but I still have to then go and go away and just make decisions about, you know, cardboard weights and printing processes and all those kind of things. So you yeah. sort of learn, learn and, and that is what an art director probably does a lot of the time anyway. But, um, y- so you're understanding those elements of it. Um, and I guess just for me, um, trying to try my, I always think my job is to stand up for the art. Yes. In what I'm doing. That's my, that's kind of my job to try and stand up for the purity of the art concept as much as possible against whatever, um, whatever may come to just kind of, you know, rub away at that a a little bit, bit by bit over, over time prior to the release of the product, because naturally those things will happen. There are budgetary um, factors. There are commercial factors there are practical factors, which means you don't always get your own way. So, um, yeah, my job is to kind of be the person sort of waving the flag for the purity of the art concept, really. Excellent. And from, from your experience, Miles, what, what, what are the key lessons learned in terms of the pitfall, pitfalls to avoid and the keys to success that you can share with aspiring um, art directors and curators? I think you have to be – well, I think, in, I think now – you have to be um, patient and um, and and kind of try. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Now in a sort of yeah. post-COVID world, because it would have been a very you know it would have been a very different answer. I, I think you need to go. I, I I think you need. You don't have to do this, but I think it, in my case, it was very important to go and study, to go you know to do art foundation. To go through the processes, if if, if let's if you're not necessarily if you're a young younger person coming to it because it doesn't matter because I went back to university in my thirties, but um, I think it, it helps to go through the processes of a kind of educational system within the creative arts generally because I think the what Art Foundation does for you is very important in the UK anyway. It certainly did for me. It completely freed me up from the um, kind of A-level student I was and it taught me so much. I learned about so many different people and design movements and it also connected to me, connected me for the first time to a bunch of other people my age wanting to do the same thing as me. Yes. And obviously that's not just specifically about the arts. That could be for anything you go and do, but it, particularly within, I think, the creative arts, it, 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 it gives you a community and a network straight away and it, uh, to be part of which is very inspiring. It gives you people to work with, to connect with. You can be a team. Um, you can be, you can start to, you know, kind of create, um, you know, gr- groups who work together on certain projects. Um, you meet loads of different people from different places, all those kind of obvious yeah. things, but it just, but it, but it really just frees you up. It kind of explodes everything that you, you knew and starts to help you kind of rebuild your brain in a new way. I put putting all these different parts back together um, and filling in the gaps. And there's lots and lots and lots and lots of gaps. And obviously there's, you know, there still are, of course, but you, you start to learn, you start to um, discover. And then I think, you know, you take that one stage further into, into degree form in the UK anyway. And you, it just helps you, helps you start to coalesce. I think it helps you start to think about the kind of person you want, the kind of designer you want to be. And again, just opens you up to loads more people, different cities, different yeah. ideas. Um, and then 
I think, you know, working with different, starting to then work with different people who can be very inspiring and who can start to guide you and give you, um, give you some practical knowledge is very important. And I think sometimes learning what you don't, learning what you don't want to do. Yeah. I mean, I, when I came out of university the first time, I went and did design work with a very, very, very good, important Manchester graphic designer. Um, and really just didn't like what like it. I just didn't. Yeah. And that wasn't because they were bad or the company was, was a bad place to work. I just didn't like the process of the work. Yes. The work they were doing was fantastic. Some of the best graphic design work and art direction work and working in areas that I like now, you know, music culture, yeah. you know, rebranding of architecture, all those kind of things. I just didn't like the process of the work. Mm. And that wasn't their fault that was that that is for a lot of places that is the process of the work and that kind of threw me because I thought that's exactly what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do and that's why I ended up having such a kind of break because I I came out of that process really going oh shit I don't I don't think I want to be a graphic designer yeah and I probably didn't and probably and I don't really consider myself a graphic designer either um and so that that was a good that was good for me to do that it meant I kind of you know, drew, drew back a little bit and thought, oh, actually, let's rethink what you want to be. So those those kind of experiences can be good. Um, and then in my thirties, I went and um, I went and volunteered with um, with with Manchester Art Gallery. Um, I just thought I, I want to put try and put myself in a position where I can just learn as much as possible um, in a practical sense and find out if I, if, you know, the world of, of being a curator is, is something that I want to do and can do. Um, and again, same, you know, just learned so much from the team there. They gave, they gave me so much practical experience. I didn't feel there was anything. I, I mean, you know, the, the world of having to volunteer is not, not an ideal one. I don't think I, I you know, very much believe that people should be paid for the work they do. However, and that might that may change again because I think there's a there's a kind of reaction now to a lot of the kind of the world of the intern and the world of the volunteer. Yeah. But unfortunately, it is the world that a lot of areas work in, and the arts are kind of generally underfunded, so they do need that work. And actually, I just I was lucky because again, I think this is coming to it later. I already had a job. I already had work. I was doing all this on my day off, you know. Yeah. So. It, it, it didn't matter to me that I wasn't being paid for it in quite the same way, but um, it, it was, it was just what I had to do and I wanted to do. So I kind of went and worked with the curators there and they were very quickly gave me lots of responsibility and work to do and trusted me to just get on with projects and contacting people. They weren't my projects. They were their projects, yeah. but they trusted me to assist them. And I think, they could see that the work I'd been doing with Johnny and my interest in pop culture and the other uh, bits of work that I'd done to that point, which were only kind of quite minor, really. Um, I think they saw that I had an area of expertise that helped that complemented their curatorial team, which was predominantly fine art focused and fashion focused yes. uh, costume collection focused. Um, and so they didn't have anyone who was sort of as obsessed with pop culture as I was and who was making the connections. And obviously they could see that they had projects coming up that maybe I could bring knowledge to and just assist with, and even if in a practical sense, but then as things developed in a, you know, actually maybe make suggestions and understand the work I was looking at or the work that they were going to have to look at. I already knew what that was and I already knew what that, related to and who that related to and why that why that mattered you know what that what the title of that artwork what that song lyric referred to I already knew all of that kind of stuff anyway because I was already kind of immersed in that world so so that 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 practical experience of just going and volunteering and being part of a institution um was vital so I would I would say if people can get that practical experience um, in, in in those kind of creative fields, in art direction and in curation, 
they definitely should if they're able to. You know, if they can, yeah. if it's financially viable for them, uh, it, it, it helps definitely. Fantastic. And so, tilting forward, Matt, looking to the future, what do you see as that some of the key forces that are driving change within your profession from a social, cultural, economical, political, and technological perspective? Um, well, I think that. On a purely practical sense, now there, there'll be real financial constraints yes. on, um, particularly on major institutions, particularly on public institutions in the UK. And obviously, now you're based in the US, Roy, and the 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 way that the USA um, arts market is funded is very different than yes. it is in the UK. Obviously, we have the Arts Council here. We have things, you know, things like the Art Fund, and it's obviously far more kind of um, benefactor and patron um driven in the in 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 the usa um so in the uk there'll be i think there'll naturally be some some cuts and so i think people will have to adapt to that and develop um projects that might actually be more kind of homegrown there might be less you know so all those things that cost a lot when you're putting together an exhibition you know the transportation of major works from around the world we might find that actually the um, people are going to use their collections much more and um, you know, kind of used inter-UK collection management projects much more. There might be far more collaboration between institutions so you can lower the budget um, restrictions a little bit. So, you know, rather than one institution putting on an exhibition, two will share it and they can both, you know, they can help fund it and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that we will see the a techno, technological change with exhibitions moving to um, online so people can experience the exhibition without having to go. Yeah. Um, because I think, and, and not just the exhibitions, but I think collections as well. There's been a big project in the UK, um, which is, I think, I think if memory serves, is, is just called Art UK, which is about digitising and um, offering up public institution collections for people to research and find and see online. Um, and that's, that's a really interesting project because it allows you to discover what's in public institutions without having to go and make appointments and, you know, them drag that work out and all those kind of things, which obviously people can do anyway. Um, but I think that technological change will just continue. I think you'll, yeah. Um, I think, sorry, Roy, uh, at least I passed. Um, I think, <laughs> so I think, the te- I think there'll be a technological change. I think you will find um, institutions moving from or supporting the physical exhibition with a technological or, or with a virtual exhibition yes. or the opportunity to view it virtually. Yeah. And they might need to monetize that as well because that might be a way of them, you know, driving income, of course, when visitor numbers are going to be down and general travel numbers are going to be down. So though all those, all the things that affect that, you know, tourism, the restrictions on travel and so on and so forth. Um, so I think people will find new ways of digitizing the work, creating um, different ways for them to experience the exhibition without having to go to the exhibition. And I think that would be really interesting. There might be a much more video work. There might be much more... Um, Digital work, because again, it's easier to develop, it's cheaper to use um, than, the, than the kind of physical practicalities you have in loaning works. And actually, I th- I'm hoping, from my perspective, there'll be a real interest in um, exhibition supporting pop culture much more, um, or, or, or there being a, a pop cultural element to fine art exhibitions, because in the same way... Um, the, the processes are the same with pop culture I, I, items that fit into pop culture or, or to the kind of sphere of pop culture generally, but they are generally cheaper to, to, to use, to transport, and they tend to be in personal collections rather than institutions. So you can kind of circumvent a lot of the rules and difficulties you and costs you have with lo- loaning them. You know, it's much easier to transport a record yeah. from Manchester to London than it is a, you know, massive painting um so i'm i I hope that actually in developing those ideas um institutions will be far more open to to um exhibitions that that investigate 
various spheres of pop culture and socioculture much more. And I think people are interested in learning about modern history in, in that sense. I think there's a gap between, yeah. I think there's a gap in a lot of collections and I think there's a gap in a lot of museum collections, which is something that I'm, I'm also interested in. I am working on and interested in working with other people to kind of fill, you know, that's, there's a lot of, a lot of pre-war documentation and collections, but people haven't really taken pop culture and people, people who were involved in pop culture and their archive and their roles and their business models and their you know processes are seriously. So I think there's a, I think there will be a drive in a, a drive for kind of modern, um, let's say latter half of the 20th century to now to contemporary, yeah. um, culture to be explored in, in the exhibition sense. Um, I think in an art direction sense, again, with the areas that I work in, which is tends to be, you know, music, I can't really comment on the sort of the business yes. um, side of things, you know, the kind of commercial uh, business side of things. Cause obviously art direction and design covers a massive, massive area, but yeah. I think within, I think within music, same, I think people are having to, find new ways to monetize their work. Um, There's no gigs happening, which means there's no merch being sold. You know, people aren't turning up at gigs. So you've got to still make merch, but how do you sell that to people? How do you communicate that to people? How do you, what's the reason for them to buy it? Um, If you're going to do gigs, how, or you're going to do performances, how are you going to communicate those how are you going to interact with people how are you going to monetize that obviously you might have seen recently there's been the performances by laura marlin did one nick cave did did yes, one yes him with you know that's the class that is really interesting because that's a way that people are going to have to connect with their audience now and actually and that, you know there's not there's no, there's not many there's there's no good things to come out of covid really but people have had to think about how they continue to connect with people and the use, the tech, the use of technology, which all of a sudden loads and loads of people are using, which they'd never heard of before. Yeah. Teams, zoom house party, whatever it might be. Yeah. Most, most people, 95, 99% of the population never used these things before. They were just into business, um, you know, uh, uh, systems that helped people collaborate. And, um, now everyone's using them and, and what's great, what's really interesting about that is people are starting to be creative with them yes, um, and with their social media and with the, with the things they talk about. And I think there'll be a strong political edge to a lot of these things as well. I think for sure people have, people have been sat at home for a long time. So they've, they've really engaged with a lot of the political um, movements that have come up and they're not necessarily, yeah. they're not new subjects, but they're new movements that have maybe, refocused or focused for the first time people's attention around certainly around racism certainly around you know political division trust in politics in politicians and all the the way that they represent us and look after us i think that will be an interesting angle for some kind of so you know exhibitions and and the way that people present the messages they present in music as well i think so yeah. I think I think the, the technologies will force people to well and they are, I think they are forcing people to think about how they present their their art to, to their audience and to new audiences, yeah. while at the same time in a purely practical sense, making money doing that, you know. Yeah. And I think that's fine. I think people have to make you know, everyone has to make money yeah. doing doing these things, you know, as long as they're not ripping people off and they're not being you know, um, you know, overtly cap- capitalist about it. Everything isn't going to be for free. And I, but I think that's, I do think that's a really interesting um, area that people are going to have to um, kind of broach because I think one of the, what, one of the things the internet has done is offer up a lot of free content for people and people then get used to not having to pay for things. That's exactly right. Yes. And I think now they're going to have to learn that they are going to have to pay for things again. And yeah. so it's what will happen is that the price will come down 
So you can't, I don't think you could charge people 25 pounds to go where, where you used to be able to charge people, I don't know, anywhere between 25 and 150 pounds, whatever that being dollars to go yeah. to a gig. If you're sat in your living room, I don't think you can charge people that. That's right. But the artist is still, to some extent, having a lot of the same costs. They're still got a crew. They're still setting them up. Yep. This has got to be filmed instead of performed. So you've got yep. to hire a company to do all that. You've got to edit it. But I just don't think they'll get away. So I mean, don't get me wrong. It won't cost as much as doing a big tour. But I don't think they can charge that. So they're going to have to get used to all of a sudden to charging five or ten pounds for that. That, that thing and find striking the balance between what's economically viable and what people are prepared to pay for yeah. um, same for exhibitions and same for same for um, yeah the, the, the worlds of music and film and literature and all that kind of stuff you yeah. know it's gonna, that's going to be the interesting area you have been listening to the Unknown Origins podcast please follow subscribe rate and review us For more information, go to unknownorigins.com. Thank you for listening.